Hello, my friends. Last week, I was in Sweden at BIM Object teaching a leadership workshop on connecting your team's purpose to the company mission. It was an incredibly valuable session, and we got excellent feedback from Ben, the co-founder and CTO. To have me come to your company and run this workshop so that your leaders leave energized with metrics that drive momentum in their teams, email chloe at moderncto.io. That's C-H-L-O-E at moderncto.io. Now, get excited because today we are talking to Kevin Goldsmith, the CTO at Onfido, and we discuss how to coach people as your company scales, building accountability through a continuum of understanding and the most important thing you must do to get focused work done. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Hello, Kevin. Hey, Joel. Hey, buddy. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Amazing. Your audio is fantastic quality. Oh, awesome. I just borrowed this headset. That's great to hear. Where are you calling in from today? Uh, calling in from London. London? Yes. It's the evening. It's, it's towards the end of the day there, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like uh, 7 o'clock here. Is that where you primarily reside? Um, I'm moving. So I'm kind of right now half-time uh, Seattle and half-time London and then moving uh, full-time to London this summer. Oh, nice. Is that hard with the family stuff or are they pretty cool about it? Uh, the family's, uh, family's excited about it, but uh, like my daughter is in school right now. So until... Uh, so that's why I'm half time each place cause she needs to finish school. So, uh, that makes it difficult on the family. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I've got two little ones, uh, night, 20 months and three months. So they're very oh, wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How this will be our, uh, so my daughter is, uh, turning 11 this summer. This is our second, this will be our second, uh, time in Europe. The last time when we moved here, she was four. So it was a little bit easier. Did they get the cute little accents though? No. Well, we, she, she, um, she went to international school cause we were in Sweden. Right. And so, oh, cool. uh, so she didn't pick up the accent, but her pronunciation of Swedish words is so much better than mine or my wife, but, she, but we speak it better than she does. So I, I don't know. It's a weird, weird artifact. What, what part of Sweden? Stockholm. Oh, nice. We're going, we're taking the podcast to Malmo next two oh, weeks, sure. in two weeks. Yeah. Yeah, no, Malmo's great. Yeah. And then you're right across from uh, Copenhagen, which is awesome. Right. We heard that it's fantastic. It's the first time we're taking, taking the group international. So we're all oh, cool. All right. Yeah. That's By awesome. the way, this is the podcast, just so you know, like okay. the whole thing <laughs> from the moment we get in, there's no big intro. It's just you and I just hanging out, talking about technology, talking about life. Yeah. Right? So I've heard, I've heard some of your, I've, I've listened to some of the other episodes and oh, yeah? I, and so I, I didn't realize like, no, you just go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guessed I like, here's what happened. So I started the podcast, right? And then we're doing it and I had no idea how to do it. I was just like, all right, well, they're people, they're technology people. I'll just talk to them like I talk to other people. Right. And other tech, like in the real world, like you go to coffee with me, I want to talk about like product for engineering. We just, you and I, we both just sit down and start talking. Right. Yeah. And, and then I, as the podcast got bigger, we got guests that had, you know, been bigger names. So they had been interviewed and stuff. And they're like, when is this going to start? <laughs> Right. I was like, oh, dude, we're like halfway through the interview right now. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, all right. so, all right, good. We're, we're going then. We're in it. Oh, we are, we are in it. So one of the things I'm, I'm mo you have an amazing past, by the way, when I saw you oh, as thanks. a potential for a guest, I was like, this guy's unbelievable. I can't wait to talk to Kevin. <laughs> right. But the thing I'm most interested in, like not your technical accomplishments or the cool brands that you've worked for, I'm interested in you as yeah. a human. So I want to oh, know, wow. like, right. when's the first time that you fell in love with technology? Is it video games? Like, what was it? Um, I can trace it almost back to the day, I think. Um, back in fifth grade, uh, my company, or not my company, uh, my school got <laughs> a TRS two TRS-80 Model 1s. 
So this would have been, I mean, right after they came out. And uh, one of my, my homeroom teacher started a computer club after school and I started learning basic because back then, like there were no video games, not for home computers. Like I had to get like David All's book of basic games and like type it in myself. And um, I think uh, around, so, I mean, you know, so you, we had video games, but it was like Space Invaders, like Pong, right? It was early, early games. And certainly I liked that stuff. But then like through that process, oh, if I want to play a game, I got to type it in. And then, oh, like, which immediately led to, oh, I can like make this or I can start making my own games that, you know, almost immediately, like I was absolutely hooked. So it's oh, been since, yeah, since I was like fifth grade. And then you go to college or you just start programming right out of like keep programming all the way up into your first job or how did that go for you? So, um, so I started programming like then, and then, um, when I was in eighth grade, I got my first computer at home, which was uh, um, a uh, TI-99 4A, and then was writing mostly because, you know, mostly games and just playing around writing code. Uh, high school, my high school had some computers, um, so kind of used those, used my own. And then, you know, in there, like by, by seventh grade, I knew like, this is what I want to do. This is going to be my job. So I, I learned that pretty early and then was you know, took AP computer science in high school and then went to college to do computer science. And originally, at first I thought, well, I'm going to be a college professor, right? So I'm going to go, I'm going to get a PhD and I'm going to teach because, you know, this was, I graduated in 92. So back then, like the industry, the industry existed, but it wasn't really clear like the path you would go. And it seemed like being a professor would be cool. And then when I was an undergrad, I got to work with grad students. And I found out like, oh, it's actually kind of a difficult life as a grad student. You work like a bunch of years for nearly no money. And you're kind of like having to do what the professor wants you to do. And then I started getting internships like in college to do this. And I realized, oh, wow, I could actually do this for a job. And the job would be really fun. And so then, yes, I, and also I think, I went to a very challenging school and I think I, somewhere in there, I realized like in order to get the grades to go to a good grad school, like I have to work way harder and I'm already working really hard. So man, maybe that's not my future. But yeah, so I graduated, uh, got my undergrad in math and computer science and then went right into the industry. So where, where do you start your first job? Like where do you become an individual contributor uh, on a team? So my first job in college, I got really, um, even before college, actually, I got really interested in computer graphics. Like, I was really fascinated by computer graphics. And around then, like, some of the early computer graphics movies were coming out, like Tron, which had a few, like, CG sequences in it, and, like, uh, Wrath of Khan and stuff. And so uh, I got really fascinated by doing that, and I thought that'll be my, what I want to do. So I ended up in college, uh, I was really lucky. We had a really good graphics professor. And so me and my friends were all into graphics. We got, we did the undergrad course and then convinced him to let us into some of the grad courses. And so I ended up getting an internship um, and then a job at Silicon Graphics, which back then was like the coolest place. Um, that was like, they made the machines and the software that everyone built movies out of right on top oh, of nice. and so yeah it was amazing it was right during like jurassic park and terminator 2 days those are like that's like the big days for movie gra that's like oh yeah no absolutely yeah. and like we weren't working <laughs> people always thought we worked on the movies and i would like people would go oh you work at silicon graphics you must have worked on terminator 2 and i'm like Yes, I did, but no, we totally didn't. Like, we didn't make the movies; we just made the hardware. But it was amazing. It was an amazing experience because I got to use this like ridiculously expensive hardware. Like, some of the machines I were I was working on cost like millions of dollars, um, and was able to use them just to do my cool projects on, which was awesome. And so, yeah, I did that for a while, and then I actually did end up going to a film studio. I worked at a company in uh, San Francisco called Colossal Pictures, and I worked on. Um, primarily on a TV show called Moxie's Pirate uh, Television Network for the Cartoon Network, um, which was an early CG, like live CG kind of uh, TV show there. And that was, that was very cool. I have, a, I have a recommendation for you for podcasts. Oh, okay. But Darren Grant, 
Uh, okay. CTO at Animal Logic. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I know Animal Logic. Oh, you do? They make like Lego movies and mm-hmm. uh, Happy Feet and stuff. So he's the CTO over there. But I think he worked at Silicon Graphic or some company very similar sounding to that. Because when he first you know, got into it, uh, yeah. he started at this movie company and it was around that same time and it had a very similar name. But if you listen to the episode, you'll hear it. It might actually be that company that he worked with. So any, I mean, anybody, like if you weren't working at like ILM or PDI or, or one of those companies, like, and you were doing graphics in the like early to mid nineties, you were working at Silicon Graphics. Yeah. It was like the place that everybody went to. Yeah. Yeah. He's a really cool human too, though. So maybe I'll connect oh, you I after the show. Yeah. Now he's on uh, a board and they actually like look for like the Grammys, but they look yeah. for, um, I'm, I'm probably not saying that right. I don't think Grammys is the right one, but the Oscars, I think maybe. And then sure. they look for people that did extremely cool tech things. It's like the, the, yeah, tech Oscars. the technical Oscars. Yeah. 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 And so he's on the board for that. So he's been helping with that for like 10 or 20 years or something, picking the winners. He's got some really cool stories. You guys would like geek out. I, I have a lot of friends, especially last year. Cause I worked at Adobe for a long time too. Mm-hmm. I, uh, uh, after effects just won, technical Oscars and Photoshop has won technical Oscars. And I know, I, 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 I know lots of people that have won them. I'm adjacent to a technical Oscar, I guess. <laughs> you soon, <laughs> my friend. <laughs> I'm not doing that stuff so much anymore. I don't think I'm in consideration anymore for anything I've done. So, but let's talk about Adobe though. Cause that's pretty sure. cool. I saw the years you were there mm-hmm. and um, you ever run into Marty Kagan? So I, I, I know you've had Marty Kagan on your podcast. I worked with people that worked with him at Netscape, but I, oh. um, and, and uh, so I worked for somebody that worked for him and was a fan of his, his way of working. Yeah, because he, he was there when the Adobe did the big pivot. Well, he wasn't like at Adobe. He was like a consultant with Adobe. No, he was a consultant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So were you there during that time when they switched from sort of box software to this whole creative cloud oh yeah yeah no i was absolutely there um during that but i was uh i didn't work on the creative cloud team at that time i was working on a more consumer focused product called adobe revel um but yeah no i was yeah definitely there for that what did did revel do so revel revel was essentially a shared photography product like private sharing um it was very similar to like google photos is now Partially because like some of the folks from Adobe went to Google and started Google Photos, including like the original product manager. Um, Google Photos now is like far eclipsed what we did, but it was uh, generally the same idea. Like here's a place where you can collect all your photos. They're stored in the cloud. You have access to them all the time on all your devices. You can make changes. You can do non-destructive edits. The edits are synced across all your platforms. You can do sharing privately or publicly because like the Photoshop.com team was part of us as well. So it was, it was an exceedingly cool product. I am, I am constantly missing it um, because it actually really solved that problem. Like for you, like you got your kids, you want to share your photos, but you don't want to share them on Facebook because that, uh, that's a little, yeah. could be a little bit creepy because um, you don't know what's going to happen to them. This was a way like you own your data, you own your photos, you can share them, control sharing on them very clearly. Um, and it was, and you can share la- albums and stuff. So you and your wife can add stuff to the, to the photo album and then share it with the grandparents. It was really solving that problem for kind of private sharing of photos. Yeah. Because I've thought a lot about this with posting pictures of my kids. My wife and I actually yeah. sit there. We had a cute picture of the bathtub and we want to get it to grandma and like everybody, but like, it's not like necessarily something you want to post on Facebook. And right. so it's almost like the privacy settings are great. I'm sure we could configure it and all of that, but yeah. it's almost like you need a whole separate area so that you don't make the mistake. Right. Right. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I think it, Google's Google has really done a great job in that space. Right. But at the same time, you know, how you, you don't know what, when you're talking to sort of a much bigger corporation and they're getting their profit from different places and you're not really sure you want to share something like that in that context. Like it's not kind of nice having, you know, the company where you can sort of, you know, Adobe's not selling your photos or using it for training or, or anything like that. You, you can extend a little bit more trust to a company like that. So I, I do think like Google photos is now, like doing great and I use it all the time, but I do kind of miss, I miss Revel now that it didn't, it didn't make it 
you know, it's one of those products that was awesome and maybe a little bit before it's time. Well, I did check out your website and I saw your photography. Mm. Oh yeah. Super, yeah. Super enjoyed it. My brother, he's really into photography recently. So he did the whole doctor thing and then he sort of mastered that, you know, Yeah. and he was like looking for something else in life. So he found photography. So he's been sending me pictures of the moon and his different lenses and figuring out how to take the photos. Yeah. And so what's interesting about photography with, with him and with you and just with in general is that you can tell a lot of person, a lot about a person based on the things that they think are beautiful, taking photo, worth taking photos. Right. So it's, in, it's interesting in that regard. So as I was looking through your album, I was like, ah, oh, I like this guy. He's got some, he's got, <laughs> he's got good taste and like composition. Oh, thank you. But the question I, I have for you, so this is interesting. So I, I, when I was looking at your background, right, you got the, yeah. the movies, the graphics to Adobe, that seems like super okay. I'm right. good with that. And then you go to um, Spotify, which is music yeah. and it's amazing. So it's like, okay, that's all in like the artistic, like I understand that human, but then you go to Avo or Avo. How yeah, do yeah, yeah. And Avo. that's, that's like legal stuff, right? So that's kind of Absolutely. a difference where you really interested in like the privacy stuff around photos, <laughs> like the terms of service. <laughs> well, I, the, the, that kind of move, like um, I, I would say a lot of folks who would say like uh, the move from Adobe to Spotify was even a little bit of a strange move, right? Because I was very much down. I spent nine years at Adobe the whole, uh, the majority of that in this like digital imaging space. And then to go into music, if you hadn't known that I also worked on like the Windows media team and like, you know, was a the general manager of my college radio station, like the Spotify thing would make a lot of sense. For me, like the move to Avo was a couple things. And, and one, it was really, it was a totally different business than I'd ever worked in before. Like Avo was really building like a two-sided, marketplace between consumers and attorneys and i happen to know a bit about the legal space because i have a stepbrother and a stepdad who are both lawyers right and i so i know uh you know i know a bit about the legal space but also the problems that they were trying to solve were just different than any problems i'd had to solve before and i liked that idea of like here's a new challenge it's a from a kind of building an engineering team and building a good product that I kind of know, and I've done that in a, in different contexts. But this business, I don't understand like this two-sided marketplace business nearly as well, you know. And so it was here's an opportunity to learn, and it was also I just liked, I really just really liked the company, and I liked the senior leadership team, and you know I thought this is a place I'm going to learn some stuff. Um, I'm going to be able to take what I know and apply it, but then also learn some new things as well. And that that was a big. That's always a big attractor for me is is what in any role I'm going to take like what am I not only what can I use that I've learned before but what am I going to learn as part of this role well plus it gives you yeah it gives you that edge that different perspective that you can then take back into yeah or you can shape into something entirely different which has landed you at Unfido yeah and and tell me a little bit about what that is so Unfido uh, again it's it's a it's it has a through line to what I've done before, but it's actually a completely different space. So Unfido is really um, about being uh, solving ID, ID verification, proving you are who you say you are, right? So if you think about you want to, now that we're doing everything online, like if you used to want to open a bank account, you had to go into a bank and you had to give them your ID and to prove that you're Joel. But today, like you can open up a bank account online and how do they, how do you actually prove that you are who you say you are? And more importantly, you know, there's lots of other people who would like to pretend to be you and, and open bank <laughs> accounts in your name or get access to your, to your bank account. How do you prevent those folks from doing that? So there's a lot of places where this is being used today. Uh, bank accounts are one, um, gig economy things are another renting cars or renting uh, hotel rooms, gaming, obviously, right? So all these kinds of, there's all these use cases. And then there's all the government ones as well. And so we're actually really solving that problem um, in, the, in an amazing way. So it's a, it's a lot of machine learning. Uh, we're a very heavy machine learning company, data science company, which is similar to what we did at Spotify. It's similar to what actually I, I built a, that at, at Avo as well. 
Uh, and then we're also computer vision, which goes back again to my Adobe experience where we were doing some of the uh, stuff and my graphics experience, but we're using it to apply to this problem of, you know, are you like, am, am I'm, I'm looking at a video of you right, like right now. And are you live or is this like a pre-recorded video this that you're just trying fake. to, or is it a deep <laughs> fake? Exactly. Right. Or are you wearing a Joel mask and you're really somebody <laughs> completely different? Right. Right. So it's like, how do we prove that you're um, this video? How do I prove that you're actually alive? And then you're going to show me, you know, your passport or your ID and there's 4,000 different documents that are legally valid in the world. How do we make sure that that's the, that's a real document and not like something you tried to Photoshop up? stuff like that it's a really cool problem and so that's the the basis the origin of this company yeah yeah exactly and so you're building tools or is it more like a consulting like one-on-one -on -one basis or you build a platform plus consulting on top of it how does the business work it's a it's a platform so it's a platform and a sdk and an api so companies that use us um integrate uh integrate our sdk into their mobile apps or integrate uh with our apis so and then we'll uh, pass us the data that we'll actually validate against so let's say i'm i was in uh nashville last week yeah. and they had live music everywhere like the right everywhere and we yeah. went to go into this one live music place after dinner and they had to scan our ID. It's like if yeah. they had an iPhone app and it, they, they had the camera app and it would scan my ID and then tell them if it's legitimate. Is it something like that? Yeah, exactly. Oh, cool. So you'd have okay. an iPhone app and you'd like look at, you know, you'd kind of either do a selfie or you can do a video depending on how high the you want to set the bar for fraud. Yeah. Uh, fraud detection and speed, right? So you do that, you go, okay, like take a picture of you or hey, record, turn your head to the right and then say these numbers. Um, and then take oh, wow. a picture of your ID. And so the machine learning will process it if there's doubt, like we're um, unique and that we'll, we have very good machine learning. If for some reason, if you wanna set your fraud bar really high, we actually have people that we train that are like being trained by border control, like former mm -hmm. border control people. Um, if the machine, if we're not confident enough, we'll actually give it to a person that'll look at it and then make a final judgment. So in the future, if I'm withdrawing, like if I take a hundred grand from one Wells Fargo account to another, yeah. and I go in there in person, I might actually stand in front of a camera. Oh yeah. In the future. Yeah. Cause I mean, if you think about like all the number of people in the world that you're going to go to, that you have to prove you are who you say you are. And you know, maybe some of them are trained and some of them are not, but if it's like a high fraud potential with a, like a lot of risk involved, like you want something that's going to give you a much higher confidence bar. If it's just like um, something really, you know, like getting into that bar, like, okay, the, you know, the risk is lower. Maybe you say like, we're just going to do a machine learning thing here. If the risk is high, like we're going to take out a million dollars and give it to me in cash. And maybe you might want to actually say like, you better prove to me that you are who you say you are. And we're going to use this system yeah. to, to, to make absolutely sure. And I definitely wouldn't be frustrated. Like I'd be like, Thank you. Like it's, yeah. it's actually way yeah, too exactly. to money from things. <laughs> right. So I, I like that you're doing that. It's really cool. Plus I, I enjoy the branding. The design of the website is really. Oh beautiful. yeah. Thanks. I, I think that's, it's, not my, it's not my design, but I, I, I will, I will spread, I will let people know. So your team over there, I want to talk a little bit because you're, you've led teams, you've led engineering teams. You're currently yeah. leading a team. Um, is it, you know, Around 20, more than 20 people? I'm just trying to get some context uh, here. About, uh, I, I can't say an exact number, um, yeah, also because yeah. we're growing really quick, but yeah. it's, uh, you know, 100 some plus, yeah. Okay, cool. So let's, the reason why I bring that up to get the area of context yeah. is because once you get, you know, a couple teams, once you hit that 20 mark, right? Right. Then you start coaching people who are coaching people and you go through that whole yeah. leader thing. And then it becomes a challenge or a skill that you have to develop in order to get your own focused work done. Right. And so I'm curious, you as a leader, how do you go about getting your focused work done? It's tough. I think the, the thing I've learned um, is finding the, especially because when you grow in, in our industry, right, you grow from being Usually you grow from being like a developer to being more a senior developer. Now maybe you're maybe getting into more architecty stuff. And now they're like, hey, you're good at coding. You should be a boss of people, right? And 
hopefully like we're changing, we're getting better, but that is kind of the way we used to do it. And that's certainly the way I came up. So, okay, you code well, you should tell other people how to code, which is not great training. And then after you've done that for a while, you're like, oh, you're, you're good at telling other people to code. You should tell people who tell people to code how to do their jobs. And when you come up that way, like you're, you're the domain expert, like you're the senior developer and it gets really hard to let go of the details because you're so much in the details. And that was certainly a problem for me. Like as I was growing and I had more and more people in my teams that I was responsible for, the way I defined myself was like, I knew everything that was going on in the organization. And once my organization hit the scaling point, like around like 80 to 100 and uh, a long time ago, I realize like I am, I have no time to do, I'm responsible for all this stuff that I'm supposed to be doing and I can't do it because I'm trying to trace, I wasn't delegating well. And I, even though I was very much in the belief of being like a servant leader and supporting people and helping them grow and take on more responsibility, I was still kind of the central point of my organization. I had to learn to kind of let that go and really just trust the people um, that worked for me, right? that was a really difficult time. Um, and it took me a little while to figure it out. Um, and I can, I can talk for like an hour <laughs> how I did, but, uh, but part of it was, I, I just found a good, uh, I realized, I realized I had a problem. I realized I couldn't scale myself anymore and that I had to let go. I found different ways of really delegating and giving ownership to the people that worked for me, which then led me to realize like, oh, now I have all this more time in the day where I can actually focus on like the stuff I'm supposed to be doing, strategy and thinking forward and look, working on the organizational, the larger problems. And then I found that the joy in that, right, which I'd never really known because I've been so in the details. And I got really excited about that and got much better at that. And then it got easier, you know, over time, it just got easier to just make sure I was supporting the people and that they knew they could come to me and use me as a resource if they had problems um, so that I was there for them. But then also I could focus on the stuff I was supposed to be doing. It's, it is, I think, you know, when I talk to other uh, folks who've grown their organizations bigger, like we all hit this wall, like somewhere in there, it's just we hit this wall we're so good at being in the details and now we have to kind of let go of that and it's how we define ourselves as as developers um and that's kind of the the difference of the folks who can actually grow and scale and be able to handle a larger organization than the folks who just can't right and just struggle to do that yeah it's that continually doing new difficult things over and over that yeah. It, and for me, I found it was my ability to transfer the love I got from solving the engineering problems to just looking at my structures of people as that, like just apply my skill set of scaling, building solid systems, but just do it with people instead of code. And now yeah. I've made, now I'm making the transition. That's, yeah, that's absolutely the case. And I think the the other thing too, that also honestly just helped me is part of that transition was me going from Adobe where, you know, I really like that product Revel, I joined it nearly the beginning. So I understood everything about that product, even as we scaled that team into the like, uh, in the, into the fifties at, and I jumped companies where I kind of came in at that more senior leader level. And I was now responsible for a whole bunch of technologies, some of which I just didn't even know that well. And as the organization grew, there was way more stuff, like in my organization, then I, there's no way I was going to be able to keep up with it. And I had to like, also make, make it clear, like, yeah, guess what? I guess I'm not coding anymore. Cause I can't code. I can't, I'm the worst coder. I went from being like the best coder on the team to being like the worst coder on the team. And that helped a little bit as well. And now I've been kind of out of it. Like I still code for fun. Like I'm, I still love coding, but the folks that were for me are dealing with so many technologies and there's literally no way I can be proficient or enough to be like doing production code on all of them. So it's just, it makes it a little bit easier to like kind of let go. Yeah. And then if, if you did, you would be not doing your job. Oh yeah, totally not doing my job. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Like if I'm coding on, if I'm coding on the product and, and an organization this size, like, oh, something went wrong. Something's not going right there. 
So a couple times a month, we get questions from audience for our upcoming guest. And so, yeah. so I've got a couple questions from the audience. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, speaking about accountability, like how do yeah. you see accountability between you and your team? Like you, you and your direct team, like how do you look at accountability? What does that mean to you? One of the things I do um, with people that work for me is I actually, um, I do this exercise and I, I got this, um, this was one of the ways I learned how to delegate better. I got this exercise from uh, Esther Derby, um, who's a, a, a consultant and a writer and just uh, totally respect the heck out of her. Um, and, uh, but she gave me this, I had lunch with her and she gave me this exercise when I explained to her, I was having this trouble delegating. And what it was is an exercise I still do with everybody that works for me. We'll sit down and we'll talk through all the roles, all the responsibilities of their role. Right. And then we'll put it on a, on a continuum and the continuum will go, we'll one by one, we'll talk about each one and we'll put it on a continuum of this is something that I just expect you to do. And I don't want, I don't need you to tell me anything about it. Right. So, you know, these are the things in your job that I just expect you to do. If you have questions or you want my opinion, absolutely. But just do it. Don't, don't talk to me about it. You don't, or you don't need to talk to me about it. The next, uh, part of the continuum is here's something that uh, you should do and I just expect you to do but when you do it please let me know about it right so that might include for like a, a VP or something that might include like you hire and fire I, I don't need to, you don't ask me to do it you just do it but then I actually do want to know when you're doing that just so I'm aware the next uh, part of the continuum is these are the things that you actually ask me like you make a decision and you ask me this, but you ask me before you do it, right? You make a plan and then you ask me. So that might be like a bigger reorganization of your team or something like that, where like I actually want to have input into that. And then the final thing is, well, these are the things that actually I own and like this is, this is mine, right? And so that continuum, um, Jurgen Apello actually has a, a seven step continuum that's, uh, con that's similar um, in his book, Management 3.0. Uh, so that actually helped me a lot because it very clearly specifies on each kind of responsibility you have, like who's responsible and how we deal with it, which then makes like accountability, like super clear because we've both agreed to this. That's part of the process. You and I have agreed, uh, on this plan. And if you don't act in accordance with this, you're, you're not acting in the, you're not doing what we agreed. Right. And that makes it like very, very clear around accountability in both directions, right? So I'm, you're expecting me to do this for you and I'm expecting you to do this for me and we have an agreement here and then we update it regularly, right? So over time, if you're like a new VP or a new director working for me, like more of that stuff will be kind of on my side of the continuum. And then as I see like, oh no, you, you're killing it. You're really good at this. Stuff will move where like less and less I, I even need to know about. Right. I just trust you on that. And that, that sets some things pretty clearly. So delivery, for example, like you hitting your KPIs or the teams that working for that are working for you is, are is morale, you know, where we expect it to be um, retention in your employee teams. Like that comes through that kind of stuff. Like I just, you know, can, do you need help with this or is you have it and it's working great. Like I can just trust you to do that moving forward. Yeah, you build that relationship, you build that trust, you get a feel for where the individual is, and then you coach them around that. Exactly. And that also like exposes areas where, yeah, maybe this is an area where you want more coaching, because sometimes you'll say like, actually, I'd like you to drive this a little bit more than me, because I think this is an area I can improve in, and then that becomes something we'll work on together. The, the, next, the next one's about like remote. So this one's actually a question from me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's more, it's more of a, it's more of a discussion. So this is how it came about. Okay. I was in New York last week having a meeting with um, VP of growth, fast growing company, and they just scaled out their teams beyond a hundred. And yeah. we were talking about uh, future expansions. Is he going to be remote? Is he going to be hybrid? Is he going to be local? And yeah. he's talking about the concept of being like a second class citizen. If you're, if there's like five people that are local and you're the one remote person, and, and then these words that I had never heard of remote first and remote second. So all of yeah. this conversation was, was pretty new to me, this perspective of it. But then we right. got a little bit, a little bit deeper and, and we were saying like, 
what is remote? Because some of the people that he referenced, like one organization, they had, let's just say 10 developers yeah, and five of them were in person, person and five were remote. But when they had a meeting, the five in-person ones split up into separate rooms and they all held the meeting over Slack to put it on an even playing field. So yeah. now we're talking about remote as like this whole new concept is like, is it now just like style of communication and meeting? Like how will, how will the concept of remote change and what does it look like today? So it's, it's funny cause um, I literally like last week I gave, I was in uh, Israel and I gave a talk on distributed teams and that is exactly one of the things <laughs> I suggested that people should do. Um, because like at, at Adobe, Adobe is a company, um, so I was there for a long time. Adobe is a company that does distributed teams where, you know, my team, the Revel team, like I have people working for me in Seattle, San Francisco, San Jose, Minnesota, um, individuals in Virginia and Oregon and uh, remote California. And then like working with teams in uh, Romania and, and China and, and Japan, it was just, you know, and India and, you know, Adobe does that and it, they've perfected it over years, it, but it's a massive challenge to make that work. And this problem, right? Um, we would see it where you'd have groups in conference rooms, right? And what would happen would be like, I'd see one of the conference rooms, I'd see them talking, but you wouldn't hear anything. And I'd realize, oh, you're just talking to each other, right? And, and then I'd say like, hey, you know, Minnesota, can you unmute like it's clear you're talking and they say oh well we were just having a private conversation about what you were talking about and so like we started doing that like everyone go to your offices and dial in and we're gonna we're gonna be all remote right because that puts us all on that on that kind of level playing field and i like actually doing slack for some discussions because another thing that happens like you and i were one-to-one -one here right but if you were you and i were in the same office like we'd see each other for having coffee, we'd go out to lunch or whatever. We would have these really short, high bandwidth communication kind of things that no one else would have any insight into, right? So you and I might spend the day like kind of back and forth on a problem and solve it. And then we tell the rest of the team in the team meeting, like everyone joins, we say, hey, we solved this problem. And they have none of the context of the discussion because it kind of happened in private. And then they're like, well, th this doesn't make sense to me. Like, you haven't really thought this through. And I'm like, no, 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 we really have. So uh, I'm also a big advocate of taking like those conversations and putting them in Slack where everyone can see it. And even if they're not, you know, because the time differences or whatever, even if they're not involved in it real time, they can walk it back and actually see it. So I like doing that or like Google Docs is another way where you can actually see the common trail and see the history of the changes because that gives people insight into that discussion. That's, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a challenge. I think the future is very clearly, like at Onfito here, we're in London and we're in Lisbon. My last company, we were in Seattle and in, uh, in Kharkiv, Ukraine. At Adobe, you know, at Spotify, I had team, or at Avo, we were co-located, but at, at Spotify, my teams were in um, Stockholm, Gothenburg, Boston, New York. At Adobe, as I, I told you, like that is where we're going as an industry. We have to just get better at this. I, I wanted to go buy stock in the companies that build those little meeting booths. <laughs> yeah. After I had that conversation, I was like, this is probably the future. We should find some of these companies that build these booths. We have these and I love them. I've never seen them before. I actually wish I could tell you the brand because they're amazing. They have like their own little ventilation systems in them because they're essentially like, they're because they're so sealed off, they could be like a sweat box. But they're like, they're really nice. Like, I like them. That might be my new office, like a telephone booth. You could get like the lighting all nice and right, the yeah. audio. Like, yeah, you could really, really make some nice booths. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so now that we solved that world problem, <laughs> <laughs> another one came up. So we actually have a startup here that like came out of the podcast and mm. we have about 13 people now. So we're getting, we're starting to grow a little bit. Yeah. And we had, I've been like a real stickler as far as connecting like why we're doing something and then the value like back to the customer. Like even if it's like writing a database backup script, it's like, what value does that bring? And awesome. I want... I want the why in front of us while we're working. Yeah. And 
and I, and this was something new for me that I started doing that I hadn't right. done for the, my past 17 years of writing code, right? Usually yeah. we go over here, we figure out the reason, we say, okay, we break it down, it goes into specs, bullet points, and we're just always looking at those specs for as long as we're writing the code. And the why yeah. is completely gone. So I had this thought, like, where is, like, when do we lose the why? Where is the exact moment that the why actually leaves the screen? Yeah. And, and how do we get it not to? So I don't right. know. That's just a, what are your thoughts on that? Oh man, that's a great question. Oh, wow. I haven't, I like, I, I totally love that you're, you're bringing the, the user and the value into everything and trying to keep it there. That's great. Like, but you know, it's hard, right? Where does it disappear? It's a really good question. Like, I don't right. know you somewhere in there in the thinking of, oh, this is, you know, at some point, especially if you have a really user focused folks, like kind of ideating, that tie to the user is really close. And then somewhere in that process of translating it, and maybe it's like over time, we put this in the backlog and then we haven't gotten to it in time. And now when we get to it, it's like, oh, I don't remember. But yeah, that's great. I like, I you know, I try and do something very similar, right? I always want, folks to understand like their impact to the product. I, re I really like KPIs. Um, I, I learned this actually um, from uh, Kate Matsudera um, where she, like I was talking to her about something and she really made a push for like always have very business like impacting KPIs as opposed to like code quality or something like that. Like how does it tie back to our bottom line? Because that keeps people's focus on, no, like what I'm doing has impact to the business. But yeah, I don't know where you, I don't know where we, it's a yeah, great is, question. I'm sorry, like, I didn't mean to, like, this is what happened to me. Like, I was yeah. sitting there and it just popped, I was like, all right, I wrote over here what we needed. We gave it to Fabiana, Fabiana validated right. it, like, we turned it in. And then, then Nick's implementing it, but like, Nick, why are we doing that? And he, yeah, we, we don't know. And we're like, oh man, that's like, you, we should be able to walk up to any engineer and be like, why are you doing this? And it yeah, should be exactly. better than so I can get a paycheck or because the to-do list does it. <laughs> like it should be better than that. Like we, I right. told them as my team, I said, guys, we are better than that. We need to start solving this problem. And I'm going to put this in my interview questions now because this is a really, where do we lose it? Where's the moment the why disappears? Right. No, I mean, that's, that's great. I mean, everybody is trying to, build that empathy for the user into like their development process and that tie for why am I doing what I'm doing? And it, it does, it gets, if it gets lost, like we've done a lot of work here at like kind of really bringing that empathy for the customer and, and the consumer like into the product and into the development process. But yeah, I mean, it, it gets lost easily. It, you lose that thread. It's, it goes so quickly. Yeah. It's, if you can solve that problem, then there you go. <laughs> I'll keep That'll you be your next startup. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because I've just, I'm, I'm, I'll latch onto something like that and become obsessed until yeah. I get an answer that I, that I feel <laughs> is right. Luckily we have an engineering team, so we'll keep pushing stuff and finding like the exact moment where it gets lost and then figure out how yeah. to stop it. Right. I, th my, my only guess would be like, you, you know, you have an idea or you get a customer request and there's like a direct, you, you know, so we have a process for customers. Um, getting requests into the product, but it it sometimes takes a while, right? From when you have this very clear use case and this very clear customer need, and the team's doing something else, and by the time they get to it, the maybe you lose that thread. So maybe it's just about putting enough context into the 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 requests or something like that. But so yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's a good problem to solve. Yeah, and I looked at like the Gherkin stuff, like because we have like mm. you know scenario and stuff. But yeah. then there's so much value in why that scenario occurred. Like there's yeah. engineering value in there that you can, that's actual tangible. And we were running into these problems because I was trying to figure out how to articulate this change that we wanted to make. And yeah. you, it was literally impossible for someone to have a 360 view without seeing like why this change even came about. Like what was the human, right. like what happened in the real world between the physical humans that caused this issue to occur that then created the idea for this feature or this change that then yeah. was specked out. So um, we'll stay on top of it for you. <laughs> what, <I'm, laughs> what, like right now you're working away, you guys are building energetic startup. You're in a huge space. Like this is a good yeah. big space to be in because it's, it's going to just grow rapidly over the next decade. Super oh, yeah. needed by everyone. But what are you most excited about? Like what is the, the thing that you personally are getting up out of bed for? 
Oh man, I think um, there's there like, and the, I, something that's important, right? Is this company is has been around for a while? We're like seven years old, right? So we've already been in this space and like building and building and 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 iterating and, and solving problems. But when I look forward, just uh, just like there's just so many cool problems to solve, and on multiple levels, right? There's like the technology problems, like you mentioned, deep fakes, right? The for for our product, like we continually get better, right? And we're and we have to get better to be a viable product. We have to be a better user experience. We have to be a better partner to the the companies we work with. Um, we have to help them grow their businesses, and we have to like help them avoid fraud. And the people on the other side that are trying to commit fraud are getting more and more and more sophisticated, and they have better and better tools with which to commit fraud. So like that dance and continuing to move both make a, a better product, but also make a, a product that that's very user centric and user friendly. And, but at the same time, like handles this more and more sophisticated fraud cases. That's a massively interesting problem. And at the same time, we're doing this advanced machine learning and advanced computer vision and trying to make that fit into an SDK that's going to be embedded in your phone, like as part of somebody else's app or, you know, and run in real time and all these kind of things, like massively interesting technical problem. And then you have like the operations problem where you have like people waiting for like these things to come in and how do you kind of maximize, um, you know, the, their efficiency without treating them like machines. Cause people, you know, and recognizing like people get tired and when they get tired, their, their response rate goes down, but also their accuracy rate goes down. How can we recognize that and say, Hey, maybe it's time to take a break or whatever like all these, pro all these great problems to solve. And as a really growing company, like the company's um, nearly doubled the size it was like a year ago. Oh, wow. Um, and continuing to grow super fast. And how do we as a company continue to scale and, and grow while keeping all that great stuff that you get when you're small, um, but also kind of doing the right things as a bigger company and like keeping that uh, culture and but also scaling well right which is one of the things that i one of the problems that i love right that's that's one of the reasons that attracted me also to this company um so doing all those problems right and then you have like all these cool people that have come up through the company and are now like managing large groups and have never done that before and for me like how do i mentor them and have them ready to really do a great job at their role and then someday you know hopefully take my job right um, and grow the leaders in the organization and the next generations. All that stuff just gets me so excited every day. It, it's really like, it's, it's like so much fun and also humbling and, and just exciting and like learning all the time. It's great. Yeah. The energy from the new people, getting yeah. to watch those people evolve and grow, especially if you're working with them and they're like going in their twenties and thirties and you're really yeah. watching that like mental maturity and that shift. Right. Oh yeah. 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 And, yeah. and, and just trying to be the person you wish you had, you'd got to work for when you were their age. Right. Right. You get, and then it's like your chance to do it right. Like you have empathy for what they're experiencing and what it was like to be with, you know, a, a boss or a leader that, you felt could improve, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. Not everybody has bad bosses and leaders, but everyone, I think, I, at some point works for somebody that could improve, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, of, yeah, absolutely. And I've been that person that somebody's yeah. worked for and, and could have improved. <laughs> but that's that's the beautiful part about life, though. You get to grow yeah. and you get to realize and you get to change and then you get to like have a reason like not to go back, right? Yeah, exactly. Of course. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and, and hanging out. If people want to find out more, it's it's on Fido. Can you spell that for me? Uh, O-N-F-I-D-O.com. So they could integrate their SDKs. They need identity verification. They can just drop that in and continue on with their project and not have to worry about. And know that, that who they're talking to is actually who they say they are. Yeah, yes. absolutely. I love it. Anything else you want to get out there into the world? Uh. Probably the, you know, so I, I do speak at conferences um, yeah. quite a bit. So you can find that and, and some of my other stuff at, at my name, kevingoldsmith.com. Um, that's a good place to kind of find all my just stuff. 
Do you have recordings of the remote talk? Uh, no, but <laughs> the, slides you... <laughs> um, the slides the are there. The slides are there, and I'm trying to. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to, they didn't, I don't remember if they recorded it. They recorded, I gave two talks and they recorded the other one. I don't think they recorded that, but the slides are there and I think the slides are fairly good. What, um, do you know when you're speaking next? Uh, next, I'm speaking at, uh, there's a conference called Turing Fest in Edinburgh in August. That's, uh, I think, the next time I'm speaking. Is that a tech conference or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a, a Turing Fest. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's a it's a great actually. It's a pretty awesome tech conference uh, in oh. Scotland. Yeah. I didn't know if it was like a vehicle conference. Oh, say T U R I N G. Not oh, okay. Tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. So all those dates, everything we probably find them on your website. Yeah, you can totally find them on my website or or on my Twitter, which is also Kevin Goldsmith. Just, just at Ke you got at Kevin Goldsmith. I did. I love that's it. I'm gonna follow you right now. That's one of the benefits of uh, having been around for a while is you get to see this stuff when it comes up and go, oh, I should. Eh, that Twitter thing looks interesting. I guess. And what I regret is I didn't take like my initials or something because I probably could have gotten them. Just K at KG. Yeah, at KG or something. That would be you so know? sick. That would be so sick. But I probably would have been hacked. It would probably would have been hacked like 55 million times already, though. Right? Yeah. Oh man. Well, thank you so much for coming on and hanging out. I look forward to it. I I hope like our schedules at some point align where I get to see you talk at a conference. I think that'd be really cool. Oh yeah. And yeah. I, I I'm totally interested. Like, and I now that you're like kind of traveling and doing your talks yeah. as well. I yeah. Let me know, man. I'd love to go see it. Cool. If you ever need anything, uh, connection to a past guest, if you see someone on the show and you're like, hey, can you introduce me to them? Just send an email. Um, sure. I'll totally introduce you to anybody you know, that's relevant. You just let me know, make the introduction. Anything I can, if you're ever like, oh, I could use Joel for this, just let me know. I'm always oh, around cool. to help. Yeah, whatever you need. Totally, totally appreciate it. If you ever do hook up that like trip to visit Elon, yeah. I heard you talk about that yeah. one in the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah all right. You Let want me know. in on that? Okay. I want in on that. I'll I'll get myself to California for that. All right. Sure. I think, we, dude, we were looking, we were talking to a sponsor to sponsor it for everybody that wanted to come. So we were going oh, we to go. limit it at like 10 or 12. I think we got like six now. I'll throw you on that list, right? Because you're a huge Elon fan. And sure. we'll keep filling it up and working with them to make it happen. Awesome. All right. Talk soon, Kevin. You have a great day. All right. Thanks a lot. See you, bud. Right. Bye. Bye.